Hello, this is Chats Over Coffee with my yoga teacher, a podcast where the comedian Peter Brush, which is me, speaks to his yoga teacher, Kayla McCormack, who is not in the room with me now, so cannot say anything, but you'll be hearing her on the podcast in a mere matter of seconds. This episode, we're talking about the idea of non-attachment in yoga philosophy, and speaking of not being attached to things, this will be the last podcast, not ever, but just while we have a little break over the summer and we'll be back in September. I'm not sure which Monday yet, so do stay subscribed. Don't use this as an opportunity to ditch us. We'll be back. May I suggest that uh, if you have only just started listening to the show and there are more episodes you haven't listened to yet, this is a perfect opportunity over this little mini hiatus to catch up on any of the other episodes and also a perfect opportunity to share the show among your friends or even people that you don't like that you think might be vaguely interested or drop us a review on iTunes or something. I haven't had one of them for a while, as long as it's a good review, because don't have enough good reviews to kind of act any bad reviews that might come in. But um, anything you want to do, that would be lovely. Those sorts of things, are, you know, they do really help us out. So I hate asking in some ways because I feel like I sound desperate, but it, it really helps. And uh, if you, I'd only ask you to do it if you were enjoying the show. And if you have been listening and enjoying the show, then thanks so much for sticking with us through thick and thin. I hope it's added something to your life. That's been our intention anyway. So I hope that, yeah, you know, I hope you, yeah, you know, I hope it's made you feel good. Anyway, I'll shut up now, and uh, this we'll start the this this episode, shall we? Yeah, you're thinking, thank God. Yeah, here it is. It kind of smells like plants. Like a simple smell, not floral, but maybe chamomile kind of idea or something like that, really. You know how like you find these naturally occurring plants and stuff like that that turn out to be quite good for like dermatitis or eczema? Or... Yeah. Like aloe vera or what's that thing, jo- jojoba or something like that? Yeah, jojoba. <laughs> All right. Is it spelled jojoba? It's J-O-J-O, yeah. yeah. I, but, do, I do that because I'm not saying my family are idiots, but they're, they're not academic, really. So don't use... So a lot of the words that I use when I try and sound like a ponce, I <laughs> I don't really say them properly because I've only ever seen them written down. And you don't read every every letter in the word, do you? You just go, oh, I recognise that word. And so yeah, when you say I do it, that, definitely. When you say it aloud, you're just like, oh, jojoba. And, um, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, hyperbole. Hyperbole. I like that one. I used to say hyperbole all the time. I used to say it really passionately as well. What's it supposed to be? (laughs) Hyperbole. Yeah. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Why? It's not even spelled like that. It definitely Mm. shouldn't be hyperbole. (laughs) But jojoba makes a little bit of sense because it's a Mexican plant. And in Mexico, J is said with an H sound. But I know that because I'm American. So that's more common, maybe. Why are these, like, every ailment you have can be sort of, like, cured by a plant but you have to find it so mm. it's almost like why has god hidden all of the cures for things in plants like if you've got like you know acne or something it's like god sent you on a quest to like, find <laughs> what to find the jojoba or something in a plant in peru or something like that like, <laughs> Anytime you've got an ailment, you, you've actually been you've actually been given a quest, and you've got to do it before something serious happens. Like if you want to make it really bleak, when I mean, you think of it in a pandemic sense, like it's almost like God setting a new disease up is almost like a, I feel like it's a, like a team building exercise. You know, <laughs> where you go, and you've got those jobs where you work in an office, and you have to go like for a day away at some team building thing where you have to like build a shed out yep. of you know yep. you know out of timber. <laughs> 
or something and everyone has to work together and but it's almost like that's what god's done it's like just gets everybody in the world together and say oh we're gonna have a team building task you know we're gonna have a team building exercise pandemic yeah. everyone goes oh this is god. ebola so <laughs> yeah <laughs> And in, in half the stuff around the, the Nazis and obviously those symbols and everything, they're all they're all illegal in Germany. They're not even illegal here, so <laughs> it's a bit like they've taken more action to show that they really aren't that way or whatever in comparison well, to other they, countries. They have to, really. Yeah. Well, exactly, <laughs> yeah, because they yeah. have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not Definitely. allowed to call your kid Adolf, I heard. Oh, why are you not? I mean, why would you want to? I know, right? <laughs> Yeah, there are some banned names, aren't there? Most countries have, have names that you're not allowed to call your child. Like, you're not allowed to name your child Satan or whatever. Really? Cause, oh. Yeah, I think so. I don't know if that's the case here, but I'm sure there are some places that they have names where you're like, you're not allowed to name your child that because it, you know, it would be harmful for the child to grow up with that name. Yeah. To try and, so it's very few. I mean, you could probably list them. Would you call a dog Satan? <laughs> The dog's not going to get picked on at puppy school. <laughs> I think it would be okay, but someone you might get some funny looks in the dog park if you start shouting Satan. <laughs> Someone's burgling your house and you go, quick, Satan! <laughs> <laughs> there was that joke that went around. It was about a burglar that crept into a house and then there was a parrot in a cage and the parrot kept squawking, Jesus is watching you? And then Jesus was the dog or whatever. Yeah, no, I know that one. Uh, have you seen that I one? I know all the yeah. jokes, so yeah. All of them. <laughs> yeah. In the whole world. <laughs> well, you've got to know. Or you might repeat something. Well, okay. Fair enough. Fair Do enough. you have a favourite joke? <laughs> a favourite joke? Yeah. That's like asking for someone for their favourite movie. That's like, not. it's not really possible. They'll just list the last good movie that, that they saw. I suppose. Do you tell jokes at parties? Parties? Yeah. What's a party? Well, yeah. <laughs> Are you good at telling jokes, do you think? No, I just make quips based on current situation. To be honest, I, I don't think I've, I've ever felt comfortable with the idea of telling a joke. What, because of the pressure? No, because it's fake, memorized, you know, like reciting. I feel like it's like, I don't feel like my heart is in it because I'm kind of reciting it or something. I don't know. Or like, what if they've heard it before? And it's going to be like... <laughs> <laughs> it does sound like there's the pressure. Well, maybe. maybe when you make a quip, it kind of doesn't matter if you don't get a laugh or a quip, is it? Because people will think, yeah. might just think, oh, that's something that they've said conversationally. Also, I feel like it's easier to read a joke and laugh, but maybe that's just because I like reading. And not that I don't, not that I don't like stand up or something. I have, I've, I've, I've watched stand up and find it quite funny. Yeah, it can be quite good. Depends who's doing it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Do you like joke jokes though? Like you hear a joke, do you enjoy that, or do you think that there's because you just say it doesn't sound authentic? Well, I don't know. I think what it is is like you know when you think of like the jokes that go in Christmas crackers and stuff, and they're really like meh, you know, or 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 dad jokes or whatever, and people like laugh because because it's a dad joke. It's like oh, it's such a dad joke, but it's funny, but it's a dad joke. <laughs> yeah. I kind of feel like. It's hard to create a real, funny, authentic joke that doesn't fall into one of those two categories. Well, I know that. <laughs> don't worry. Because, you know, people don't really, in stand-up, they don't really tell joke jokes, really. No. Like, not anymore. No, no. In the 70s, they did, but they were allowed to use a lot more racist jokes back then, so it was easier. <laughs> <laughs> 
people don't really tell joke jokes, you know, like ones that yeah. people just know somehow. People don't do those at stand-up shows anymore. And I think it's exactly mm. what you kind of alluded to. When people watch someone at a show, they want to see what their authentic viewpoint is on things. They don't want to hear a joke that their granddad could tell them. Yeah. But yeah. those those old jokes, the ones that are good, they're, they're really good jokes, but like, I don't know who comes up with them. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not, I can't think of any off the top of my head that are appropriate. <laughs> that are appropriate. Oh, you've got some inappropriate ones then. <laughs> I can say it's most of them are racist, aren't they? Englishmen, Irishmen, Scotsmen as well. You can't think. It's just all. It's just all. Oh, all yeah, problematic. Yeah. Can't do. You know. I don't know why I thought of this the other day, but have you ever done the equivalent of dying as a yoga instructor? Do you think? What do you mean? Like, just the gig just went so badly. Um. I have... not, not, I don't mean that it was you. I mean it was them. Oh. Uh, I have had the odd corporate yoga class where you could tell you just you're just on another level and you're and you know, if someone walks into a yoga studio, they already have, I don't know, an idea, an inkling, something has clicked in their head that they want to give it a try. Whereas if you offer someone sat in an office a free yoga class, they don't have the same mindset. They just go because it's free. And I do sometimes find that in those classes, it's not very often. It's not very often. It's probably probably like once or twice in the, all the time that I've been teaching. So I do mean it's quite rare and far between. But you can find sometimes where you get a small group or a few people in a group where it's almost like they don't even know their body parts. Like they don't even know the names of their body parts because they're just so wrong with their movement that it's like, I'm going so slow. How can you not? What? What is, what is, what is, you're so disconnected from your body. You don't even know where your knee is right now. <laughs> like this is, and I don't mean it in like a judgmental way. It just comes back to like, oh, you need a private class. You know, I can't, I can't help you. I can't help you in this class with 20, with 15 other people. <laughs> And you feel a little bit deflated or you're not quite sure what to do. So you end up trying to just do things in a way that you can make sure nobody hurts themselves. And that's about it. And you're just happy that you make it through. <laughs> the only thing that made me sort of think about it is because I've started going to green rooms again recently, obviously, because I've started performing again. Green rooms? Green rooms. Oh, green rooms. Oh, yeah, like yeah. for recording. Oh, no, right, no, right, right. No, yeah, no, yeah. no. You don't understand the showbiz terminology, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so the green room is the room that all the acts share before we go on stage oh, at a show. Okay. So we we talk shop and stuff and we bitch, mm. bitch about the other comics that aren't on the bill. and Yeah. Oh, I can't believe so-and-so is on TV or that shit, you know. <laughs> I can't believe I'm not, okay. you know, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then when one of the acts leaves the room, you go, what's their problem? <laughs> you know, it's just, <laughs> it depends who you get. I mean, you get horror show green rooms where, you know, people that, you really don't get on with and find really difficult because some people are really difficult and then you get some really great ones where you know it's really fun to be around Mm. but anyway one of the things that you get in green rooms often is people don't really want to talk to each other about their good gigs they only really want to talk about the bad gigs because they're the better stories right because if you talk about having a bad gig to another comic, it's not an admission that you're a bad comic. It's just because you you accept that you yeah. get thrust into these ridiculous situations with like strange audience members and 
mad yeah, things yeah. happen. So it's not like, oh, I did really badly at this gig and I am crap. It's just like, oh, that audience the other day, I can't believe them. That's what it's framed as. It's not. So it's yeah, not an admission yeah. of, of deficiency to sort of talk about having a bad gig because once you get to a certain, especially if, I mean, you know, you, you tend to respect each other enough to know yeah. that. Well, certainly people respect me anyway, I'm sure. Uh, also, if you had a really good gig and you really, really talked about it, surely that would sound like you're just bigging yourself yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. No one wants to know. So, no one wants to hear about that. Yeah, exactly. No, it's just going to sound like you're feel, no. full of hubris or whatever. Yeah. Right? As standard, you should do well at gigs yeah. anyway, shouldn't you? So the, the yeah. majority of gigs you do, you, should, you wouldn't want to be talking about because that's just... The, people have been asking me how it's been going, going back, and like, oh, how have they been... And, you know, of yeah. course, it's going well because I'm not bad at it. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. And even if I was yeah. average at it, it'd still be going well because most of the time, people laugh at the right bits because they want to they want to enjoy themselves most of the time. Yeah. So I think my favourite death story was I did a gig in Keithley once. There used to be a really nice gig there, but then someone started mm. a new one just around the corner, and it was so bad. Because Claire's always said to me like. If a gig is going badly, what you should do is because I, I act like a bit of an idiot around the house more than people would think. <laughs> I mean, it's because I get bored and I just like dance about and act like a prat. And uh, good, good. Obviously, a lot of people listening would think, "Oh, he seems such a sort of like straight-faced individual and stuff." But I guess it's why I just <laughs> burn off my nervous energy, I suppose. But uh, so I can do these things sometimes where I kind of lift my trousers up really high and start dancing about, and it's quite. It's funny to watch. <laughs> like a marionette. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, and Claire's always gone, oh, if you're really struggling at a show, you should just pull that out of the bag. As if it's like some <laughs> magic trick or something. <laughs> so, it would definitely get their attention. <laughs> I did this really terrible gig in Keithley anyway, and they just they were talking most of the way through, so you had to sort of try and hammer things to get their attention. But even when you did, they just didn't go for anything at all. I think the worst bit was I did a joke, and it was one where you have to think for a couple of seconds before you get it. But usually it would always be one of the best jokes I was doing around that time. And I waited yeah. for a couple of seconds and it got absolutely nothing. And then some, I, I said, does everybody uh, want me to move on from that? Because it's not quite clear whether you just didn't understand that or didn't think it was very good. Yeah. And then some bloke just went, you're a c***. Well, I mean, I don't get that very often because I'm not an alpha male or in people's faces yeah. or something. I don't usually get called things like that. So I, yeah. I just started laughing, and in the end, I did it. I thought, oh, do you know what? This is this is time for the trouser move. So I did the um, I did the thing with the trousers. Did you? Yeah. How'd it go down? It didn't save the show. <laughs> There's just some idiot walking around with their trousers and uh, so I don't know by that stage I didn't really care but the act yeah. the act for it was funny so I got the respect of my peers and I think I only got 50 quid for it as well <laughs> like anyway you, ne- you never had a yoga class like no, that no but you know, you know what and I can't be the only yoga teacher that has this I have uh, like yoga bad dreams mm. but usually what what happens in my dreams is 
things start to just get out of my control. And before I know it, it's like, I'll be like, oh my God, I, I should have started class 30 minutes ago. But like people keep coming in or someone keeps, you know, asking me questions or, you know, this person's getting up and moving their mat. And it's like, oh, well, well why don't you just sit back down? You know, and you're like trying to control a crowd or something. And then before you know it, it's like, oh my God, I should have started class 40 minutes ago. What's going on? And then you get like all like stressed about it and stuff. I have those dreams, not, not like super regularly, but kind of regularly like those kind of situations where I'm like super anxious because things just keep going wrong I mean it's funny thing is about the dreams is in real life I would do something and I wouldn't let it bother me if people were like continuously coming in well you would just treat it as if you were at like some sort of fair or something you just wouldn't do the same kind of style class you would stand up and you would just start teaching you wouldn't try and focus your mind. You wouldn't try and like do a little meditation. You wouldn't do any. You would just start moving because that is at least better than nothing. Like I know I would handle it fine in real life, but in my dreams, I just crumble. <laughs> You're a bit powerless in a dream, aren't you? To change things, mm. you always you always very passive in a dream. Mm. So the la- this is is this the last yama? Yes. It's a journey that's coming to an end, then, isn't it? This is the last yama, but the yam- the yamas and the niyamas are the first two the first two of the eight limbs. Yeah, we've got to keep going because we need stuff to talk about. <laughs> so yes, this is the last yama, and it is called a perigraha, which is usually translated to non-attachment. I think, in my mind, this is the most well-known philosophy, but I think that might be because it's quite closely related to a lot of Buddhist beliefs around non-attachment and, and therefore trying to attain enlightenment and stuff like that. So I think that it's quite well known. But I could be just because I've been in this field, if for want of a better word, for a while. So maybe I'm... Yeah, yeah everybody knows it. <laughs> just that everybody knows what a green room is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody knows what that is. <laughs> no, that happens though. Like I know it's like people do not to deep track too much and make sure it's all about mm. comedy but i know people that have been comedians for 20 30 years and they use terminology on stage that only comedians really understand because they've uh. just been engrossed in comedy and comedians for 30 years and, it, and sometimes the odd things over an audience member's head because they use a reference that we use as acts and so yeah. you just think oh well, everyone must know what that means because you that's your world yeah yeah i could be doing that that's basically what i'm saying is i could be doing that yeah. <laughs> What about what? Okay, so what do you? What was your first thought? Because you, because I'm assuming you, you at least looked it up. I did look it up before. this time. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, you wouldn't have to think too hard about the ideas of Buddhist monks and stuff like that to come to the like no possessions and all that stuff and not being attached to material things and hmm. not just material things, but like other people and. I'm nodding. Yeah. Yep. So. Yep. Yeah. You're not living by that. Are you being married and everything? <laughs> you should get rid of him. <laughs> get rid of that. Um, so I mean, yeah, I mean, f- for the most part, there is that that idea of like non-attachment. If you want to, or don't want to, or don't feel called to become a nun or a monk in any religion doesn't really matter you're not going to have a life completely free of non-attachment that's not going to happen unless you give that up you know unless you you go down the road of being like a very spiritual person and, and think of yourself as you would a monk or or a nun so i think more from a practical point of view it's just about being realistic with yourself 
and finding that balance. But I do think that like in general, we can get very attached to certain things. So it's a good idea to kind of step back from that. But like in terms of you were saying, like, if you were going to really give it all up, there's a saying or a story that a lot of people tell when they talk about uh, a perigraha. It's basically about like a Buddhist monk who, you know, had lots of students underneath him learning and trying to reach enlightenment themselves. And they went to him and said, like, oh, what should we do? You know, how to teach us, teacher, basically. And they said, oh, well, go away and find non-attachment. You know, go go, go figure this out. Release all of your attachments to everything in this world and then come back to me. And so they went away and then they come back and they say, you know, oh, I'm, I'm not attached to anything. I have no attachments. I am the least attached person ever. And then he's just like, you seem pretty attached to this idea that you're not attached to anything. <laughs> and it's like, is it even possible? Because <laughs> surely then you get attached to this idea that you have no attachments. <laughs> so I think that on an individual level, you kind of have to decide how far you want to go with this, not just on a physical state, not just in like a, do I want to own a house or whatever, but in a like, in a mental idea of how it, how mentally attached are we to things. Like you said, the first thing that you come to mind is going to be your possessions. That also leaves room for the ego to creep in a little bit. You know, people who who were like, oh, I've got rid of everything. I just live in a flat with a chair. You know, it's like, well, why did you tell me that? But <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that that like that. Like, it's not necessarily not a spiritual thing to, to get to a point where you don't have much stuff. But um, there is a chance that, you know, ego could creep in and that could be the reason behind the doing is because you think that maybe makes it look good or whatever surely not <laughs> <laughs> so like obviously we always have to be monitoring ourselves and things but possessions are an obvious one but then like you're saying with the ego it's like mm, am i just doing it because i want to impress people or am i doing it because i really do want to feel like i don't have so much clutter in my life or whatever well that's know? it that's the difference between actually being a good person and broadcasting yourself to be a good person the internet's shown a lot of that up really yeah, definitely. There's also like this like expectations of society, which you can take on board when you're young. And then as you get older, you think you're attached to this idea. And sometimes uh, we have to let go of that as well. So sometimes it can be, you know, the idea that you have to own a house or buy something when you're out by the time you're a certain age. Um, it could be job related. Like maybe you had an expectation for your career and that didn't take off. There's nothing wrong with having goals or ideas or like, oh, wouldn't that be great? You know, that kind of thing. But there's a difference between, you know, having a bit of a goal or an idea or aiming for something and getting seriously attached to it. Usually the big the big noticing one is that something else is suffering because your attachment to another thing. So like if you're attached, if you, if your goal for your work is so all encompassing and that's all you ever want to do, your relationships might suffer. Well, how many great artists in film, for example, are, are really bad parents? Mm. Like, it happens a lot of the times, like Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, exactly. And then there's other things as well, like attachments that you, expectations and attachments that you had of yourself, you know, like maybe when you were a kid you thought oh yeah i'm gonna grow up and get married i'm gonna have 10 kids you know and then it's like why would i why would i want 10 kids mm. or maybe you always wanted loads of kids and then you found out that you can't have kids i mean i'm not saying that that isn't something that you have to process and, and understand and in a way grieve but 
if that attachment was was almost never there in the first place, you would never have had to go through that loss. So that's the other thing is kind of thinking about it from that point of view. And then just generally body expectations is a really good one, especially like in the yoga community, you know, expecting yourself to be able to get into a certain pose, even if you realistically think, oh, not not now, <laughs> just later. But then what if you come to find out that, you know, your hip bones and your joints there are really tight and they're set quite deep and that's that's you and you'll never be able to do a split. And and that could that doesn't necessarily have to be life changing, you know. That doesn't have to be something that you have to like go crazy or cry about necessarily <laughs> to let out all the emotion. It could just be you kept thinking that eventually you would get into this pose, and it's just not booming happening. <laughs> this is a realization and... for me. <laughs> I thought I got my heart set on splits. I thought you were going to. I mean, I noticed I... that I don't teach splits. I've got a lot of faith in you trying to teach me to do that. <laughs> No, I don't do splits. Sorry. That's my that's my big example. I don't do splits. I can't. I bet I bet if I had x-rays and things they would tell me that my hips wouldn't do splits. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I I might ease into different shapes over time with like my hamstrings get a bit more flexible or something like that or some certain muscle groups loosen a little bit, but for the most part it's not going to change. <laughs> Are you okay with that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And then obviously then there's like, I don't know, weight loss goals. I want to be super skinny goals and <laughs> I wish I was beautiful goals and these kind of these kind of things that are like they're not very healthy for the mind, less less the body. The the reason behind the goal is unhealthy. Yeah. If you're if you're overweight and you think, Oh, I could do to lose lose a few pounds, there's nothing wrong with necessarily watching what you eat and trying to be a bit more healthy and cutting out little you know, snacks or sweets or something or something that you know is your little sticking point or something. But tying your happiness to that goal of I will only be happy when I've lost this weight, that's a recipe for disaster, obviously. So you wanna just have more energy, make sure you feel like you've slept well and, you know, things like that is, you know, much more mentally healthy goals <laughs> i don't know that, that yeah. includes sort of like letting go of attachments to aging i suppose like no, not fetishizing youth so much perhaps yeah no i really like that you can't yeah you know it's like every birthday you think oh god it's another year on the but you think well what's the point in fixating so much on that because you're gonna feel worse next year if you're gonna the numbers don't go backwards mm. do they yeah what do they say this is the youngest you'll ever be <laughs> sort of yeah <laughs> whatever that phrase is that's why I'm not nostalgic. <laughs> it's just self-preservation, really. I do think there is this idea around age that maybe people just need to do a little bit more introspection around, like, what are they really wanting when they say they want to be younger? Like, for me, I don't feel physically less healthy than I did when I was younger, maybe even a bit more healthy because I didn't do yoga. But, you know, like... Is there something that they want? You know, are they are they wanting to be beautiful? You know, so is the, so is the issue that they're attaching beauty to youth? You know, because after the age of about twenty five or something, your muscle doesn't build as anymore. Like, because obviously you're growing, so you grow quite a long time. You grow up into your twenties, especially guys, and then at that point, muscle starts to degrade, and you stop growing. You don't grow higher you don't grow taller you tend to stop growing you're saying i'm not going to be any taller (laughs) i'm so sorry (laughs) (laughs) but like you tend to stop growing so that includes your muscle mass 
So you have to actually put effort in from the age 25 onward to hold the muscle mass that you already have. So if you don't tend to exercise and then you get to, to I don't know, 35, 40, something like that, and you've not exercised hardly at all, you could possibly feel quite weak. Depending, obviously, this depends on what you do for a living and all sorts of things. But like, there could be this point where you think, oh, wouldn't it be great if I was young again because I had so much energy and I, ha- I was so strong and all of this. And it's like, that's not really the youth problem. You just need to do something about it. And it's it's never really too late for that kind of thing. But I feel like maybe sometimes people think, oh, I wish I was young and there's nothing I can do about it. Like they are connecting that youthfulness with something that they think is not, you know, they can't attain anymore or something like that. Yeah, it's probably, again, it's a a fetishized idea of what they were like when they were young rather than the reality. Because if you... Exactly. If I say man and said, "Oh, I wish I was eighteen again," it's oh yeah, I'd love that anxiety-laden sort of like <laughs> hormones out of control, like depressives to come right back. No thanks. <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah. there is a. I mean, when it comes, you know, like, obviously, I don't know. It's pretty different for women in terms of beauty standards and stuff like that is because you know how they say it, but in acting or something there's no roles for older women or they weren't traditionally were they it was you get to mm. you get to 40 and you're like right bye <laughs> like, but yeah. obviously like that's not a problem for a male actor because you know people still think George Clooney's good looking at yeah. 60 something yeah, but yeah. people don't yeah. go I mean maybe Helen Mirren but that's or Felicity <laughs> Kendall or someone people still have a bit yeah. I mean I suppose this is probably before the MILF came in to <laughs> isn't it? And they're probably older yeah. than MILFs, Helen Mirren and, and Felicity Kendall, but people still fancy them, I think. But traditionally, it's been like the Hollywood standard of beauty is you've got to, you know, be a young woman. and then But it doesn't mm. matter if you're a guy, you can be... I mean, you look at those Hitchcock yeah. films where Cary Grant was playing the love interest at 60 years old and or James Stewart is laying rear windows like looks much older than Grace Kelly. And you think Grace Kelly is a stunningly attractive woman and she's with some mm. like fifty five year old photographer. Fuck off. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, but but in saying that, don't in a way, don't put yourself down because there is some ridiculous expectations of guys as well mm. these days. They're like what would you imagine like a oh I don't know, I'm gonna I'm gonna sound a bit uh racist here, but you know, like mm. a, a white guy Brown hair, really tall, six pack, um, you know, great teeth. Like these are the uh, like this is like your standard thing. But what? What is that? That's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous expectation because you don't have to be tall. You don't have to have straight brown hair. You don't have to have awesome teeth. But you should take care you of your teeth. Don't have to be white. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely don't have to be white. Like you know, there's this idea that like you know this idea of masculinity it looks a certain way and it doesn't. It doesn't have to. Definitely not. Like a lot of body dysmorphia rates are going up really high in like younger people, and a lot of that is female. But is there also like a male side of it where like a lot of people are yeah, really absolutely. worried that they've got to look like really ripped and stuff? Yeah. And I've worked damn hard for, for that six pack, obviously. And uh, <laughs> but she won't have seen because we don't do yoga with our tops off and stuff. But, uh, yeah, because yeah. you all wear baggy clothes. Yeah. But you just take my <laughs> word for it; it's there. <laughs> I was reading about how to apply it to your life at Perry Graha and it said something about mm. decluttering, like obviously yeah. not living with so much material stuff, which I guess makes a lot of sense because you don't want to be attached to material yeah. things. My dad, was when he was moving house, said that there's a rule that you're supposed to have when you move house. If you haven't used something within two years, you get rid of it. Do you agree with that? 
Yeah, but there'll be an exception to it, like if something's like a family heirloom or something. Like I've not used my granddad's war medals for... Yeah, family heirlooms and things you just only use once a year or something, you know, something like, I don't know, Christmas lights. As a general rule, I think that's all right every yeah, two years. Yeah. I think that's a really good rule for clothes because... I don't have, I don't say I have too many clothes, but I do, can easily get like just one, two, like maybe if I have four sweaters and then it's like, oh, I've got six now. And then it's like, oh, I've got this another one. Uh, is this too many? You know, maybe I should only have three, not 10 or something, you know, something like that. But then what happens is the ones at the back of the pile, like you're saying, they just won't get wear, they, I won't wear them. Or if one is slightly uncomfortable or slightly itchy or doesn't fit, I liked it when I bought it. And then eventually it's like, oh, it's been a year and I haven't worn that jumper because it's slightly itchy and doesn't really fit or something like that. I think that's a great rule for clothes, for sure, because it really makes you go be honest with yourself. No matter how much you liked it, if it's slightly itchy and you haven't worn it in over, you know, in like two years, give it away. <laughs> My clothes operate on a one in one out basis, I think. Oh, yeah. If I get a new pair of pants and get rid of the... The old pants with the, you know, <laughs> all the holes yeah. in them and stuff. Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go out and buy any pants. I just wait for like, maybe at Christmas I'll get some. As an adult, that's what you get for Christmas now, right? Yeah, <laughs> but random bits I, I, of it feels weird. Like, they've got to like, think, oh, what size pants has he got? Get, you know, like, <laughs> it's small and insult, is it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's like waist size and stuff, isn't it? I'm not saying it is, yeah. but. Like. <laughs> no, but I do like the idea of not of clutter, like from from an actual clutter sense, not just like there's convenience clutter, there's clutter because you've got too much stuff, and then there's cluttered clutter, which is like having ornaments and knickknacks, things like that laying around your house. And I just, I, I really don't like the clutter clutter. Convenience clutter annoys me, but I can understand that at least that makes sense. And having too much stuff. That's easy just to happen. It just happens. One day you wake up and you go, what? I have all this stuff. <laughs> people buy you crap as well, yeah. don't they? Like, Yeah, people buy you stuff. Like, maybe you go out and you think it was a nice idea. And then two years later, you think, why the hell did I buy this? <laughs> you know, I mean, we all do that. <laughs> I suppose you never like enter a raffle or go to the fairground and like, yeah. oh, I've managed to hit three ducks. And now you've got some oh, stupid giant, giant cuddly toy that you don't want anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> one of those giant teddy bears when I was younger when I was in my early teens <laughs> giant blue teddy bear was like the size of me did you win it <laughs> yeah 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 I once won one of those things with the claw that lift up the cuddly oh, toys yeah. Yeah. and then I had to have those some stupid lot. cuddly toy for which I didn't want I was like 20 why do I want that <laughs> that's great what you should do is you should buy lots of really really big cuddly toys and then mm. have them in your house and then mm-hmm. people will think you're really good at shooting games yeah, and you'd be like, "Oh, I won these all at the yeah, fair. Exactly, I'm yeah. So good at shooting games. It's like buying. It's like buying trophies. Like, from, like just having them <laughs> made out. You know, like all these races that never actually existed or something. Yeah, like, you know. we could say, "Oh yeah, I won that when I was a kid. And that one. And I could just yeah, get them one. made up, couldn't I? Like, <laughs> pretend that there was some comedy festival that never actually existed. <laughs> I can call myself I uh, like." bridge end comedian <laughs> of the year or something like that or you know that never existed well here's my trophy with the big laughy smiley man on the top so yeah. uh, you can't like argue big, with that a can big you? mouth going yeah so, so i'll pad my cv out with so i also read what one thing that you should because and you'll approve of this because mm. you're you're a fan of nature generally aren't you 
Yeah. Yeah. Generally. Nature is in birds and flowers and stuff, not yeah. volcanoes and earthquakes and <laughs> that sort of thing. You don't get earthquakes in South Carolina, do you? It's not, no. It's Los Angeles, As often it, as so. you get earthquakes here, we would get earthquakes in South oh, Carolina. Oh, yeah, we sometimes so get them at like rare. three on the Richter scale or something, don't we? Yeah, very small, very rare, very like, without an earthquake? <laughs> the tea in my cup of tea started to wobble slightly or something. Yeah, yeah really, it was your knee that hit the table, but you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, because you get that sometimes. Like, it happens at four in the morning and you wake up and someone goes, oh, I swear I felt it last night. And you're like, you probably just had some sort of, like, <laughs> probably just an REM sleep or something. Yeah. <laughs> and then there is a volcano in America, isn't there as well? Yellowstone. That's a, yeah, but if that one goes... We're fucked, yeah. Fucked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't think about that every day, can you? Because that's really, like, yeah, that's... Yeah, uh, non-active volcanoes that aren't spewing lava are very dangerous. All the volcanoes in Hawaii, I think, are safe because they're constantly spewing lava. So there's never a build-up. It's never going to explode. It's like someone that's sorted their mental emotions out, isn't it? Like, they don't... Like, <laughs> they haven't built them up, so they're not going to blow one day. That's... Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's why all the Hawaiians are quite chill, right? <laughs> They've taken advice from the volcanoes. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so... A perigraha. I read that a good practice for a perigraha is to watch nature because nature naturally renews or naturally dies well yeah that's usually what i think yeah that was my first thought <laughs> but if you watch like yeah. a flower you know it's not attached it's just in a cycle of like of death and rebirth yeah basically yeah yeah so does that make sense though yeah it's the idea that nothing is permanent yeah, yeah. really and that things do have like lifespans and stuff and if you're watching something on a smaller scale, like, you know, your puppies or something like that in the back garden, you can watch them grow, bloom. You'll watch them go to seed. The petals will drop and decompose and and you let go of the pretty flower because that's, that's that. It had its time and now it's gone. Maybe they're doing the same with us. Trees yeah. that live hundreds of years are just watching us, like, slowly age and die and then, like, <laughs> maybe they're feeling the same. Yeah, all those humans. Oh, look, that one looks a bit. That one looks a bit wrinkly. <laughs> yeah, old yeah. When I wasn't looking. <laughs> I think that one's going now. Oh, what a shame. Oh well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Um, nothing else to add, really, because I said loads at the top. So, just I'll shut up for a couple of seconds and let this music play out a little bit, and then it'll just stop. <laughs>